This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Heartland Institute's Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. I thought it was time to give you a little international spin on the climate change topic. Ron Davison is president of the Friends of Science, a Canada-based research institute dedicated to providing a balanced view of climate science and ensuring that climate policies are based in sound science. Ron, thanks for being with us. Sterling, thank you for having me. So, Ron, before we jump into the meat of the interview, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you uh, or your background, please tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to work on environment and climate issues, and what Friends of the Science is, stands for, and does. All right, Sterling. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I I got kind of interested in it back in the 90s. Um, I, my career was in oil and gas, so that's a strike against me, but... <laughs> You're a petroleum engineer, right? You're a petroleum engineer by training. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, chemical engineer by schooling, but petroleum. Yep. So, but back in the 90s, uh, uh, I I was the lead engineer on an acid gas disposal project that we put in in northern Alberta. Now, acid gas disposal is waste gas, but it's primarily CO2. It's about 80% CO2, 20% H2S. And we, rather than flaring it, we decided to uh, re-inject it back into the oil reservoirs. And, of course, back in the early 90s was when uh, the IPCC and the UN got things kicked off on the uh, climate change issue. So because we were re-injecting CO2, I did look into credits. And I actually wrote a paper on the project, and I read it the other day, and I, I, it sounded much like I was a anthropogenic global warming alarmist the way I brought my conclusions up because we were trying to get credits. But anyways, we put that project in and it ran till uh, about two years ago. So we've, uh, there was a lot of CO2 re-injected back in, but just getting involved in it. Then I started watching the news a little bit more on it. And um, back in 2015, we sold our, the last company I was involved in. And uh, I had some time on my hands, and I was talking with my daughter in Vancouver, who we got into a discussion on climate change, and she kind of stopped the discussion when she boldly claimed that the science was settled. And I promptly told her, "As a, you really shouldn't say that to a somewhat retired engineer with a little OCD and lots of time on his hands." So I started delving into it a lot deeper at that point in time and showed her some of the stuff that was out on the internet, that type of thing. But I also, as an engineer, I, I really like data. So I dove into the data. I went to NASA, I went to NOAA, I went to other academic scientific institutions around the planet and got the data myself, all the ice core data, and started plotting it myself uh, just because I wanted to delve into it deeper. And uh, I put all that down on paper and ended up with a little 74-page open letter that I wrote uh, in 2018. And since then, I've just kind of continued to modify that. The first first big document I put together was was a, a, not as much science. I didn't look at cloud, cloud formation, that type of thing. Just looked at the data, solar activity, carbon dioxide, and temperature, and just plotted them, ocean cycles. 
and you know the the sum total of that was yeah there's no data showing co2 driving the climate on any statistically significant historical time scale it just doesn't exist so two questions in response to what you just said did it have any sway on your daughter (laughs) uh no, she's in Vancouver, and she sat down and listened very politely to the 26-page PowerPoint I put together and just said, that's all nice, Dad, but my friends believe in global warming, so I do too. And she's – so that's kind of where we left it. Well, you know, and, and so you're you're probably a more generous man than me. At that point, I might have said, well, I don't know if she was still – you know, whether she's on her own, working herself, paying her own bills or – whether you are, but I, I guarantee when, when my nieces have uh, raised questions with me, um, <laughs> I have said, well, you know, gosh, I helped pay for this, and it's using, yep. it's made using uh, fossil fuels, so you don't need that anymore. Um, yeah, absolutely. You don't need my money anymore because uh, I make money uh, <laughs> disputing what you say is true, so I'm destroying the earth according to you, so yep. uh, I'm going to let you live the life uh, you've chosen carbon dioxide free. Don't ever bring a Coke around me. I don't want to see you drinking Cokes. Uh, and, and, you know, quickly they say, oh, well, let's not get, go crazy. Uh, don't get, yeah, take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what are friends of, what are friends of science and, uh, and uh, um, how'd you come to work with them? Well, because uh, I dove into it in a lot of detail, uh, my wife, understands the position and everything, but uh, there came a point in time where she said, you should go out and find somebody else to talk to about it. <laughs> so a friend of mine introduced uh, introduced me to Friends of Science. Um, I think it was uh, 2015, Nir Shaviv was giving his talk on uh, solar activity. And uh, I attended that uh, annual meeting, uh, supper meeting, and uh, I, I just started going to the Friends of Science monthly meeting and uh, just kind of took took over from there. Eventually became a director, and then uh, a year and a bit ago, I stepped up as uh, the president. So, and so I've been and so what actively is, involved. What is Friends of Science? What do they stand for? What are they, what are they about? What are it's they a group composed was, of? Yeah, it, it's a group of uh, engineers, professionals, some climate scientists, um, some concerned citizens. It was set up back in around 2002 when the Kyoto Accord was being put into place, and and uh, Sally Bolanus, Bolanus uh, and um, some other uh, prominent scientists were not happy with uh, the direction Kyoto was going. So they put this group together to address the real science issues, and um, it's that's what they've been doing for 20 years now which is, they, they thought they'd be able to wrap it up in a few years. It did not happen. Well, now, uh, you say a few. When I look at your website, it looks like uh, you've got uh, quite a few esteemed scientists, what, uh, authors of over 160 peer-reviewed papers, just one person, uh, mm-hmm. not 980 scientists and scholars. It's, it's a bigger, it's not the small shop, uh, you know, brag a bit about yourself. It's not the small shop you portrayed it as <laughs> well you're right you're right when i'm thinking small there's seven directors and uh michelle sterling our communications right. director and uh and, and we've got a administrative assistant that uh, that's you know, that's remaining they, they keep us going in the right direction but the, the the main group is small 
compared yeah. to something like a green piece of that. But yes, we're tied into a, a, a lot of people around the world. Uh, we have worked with Quintel on projects. Uh, uh, we've, uh, we have discussions with other groups like yourself, Heartland. Uh, there's a group in Victoria, Climate Realists, that we uh, work with a lot. So we've got our fingers spread out. Yeah. And we have um, people like uh, uh, in in Ottawa. We've got lots of people providing us with uh, reports yeah. and that type of thing, analyzing net zero, analyzing energy policy and climate policy just in general. So, Ron, what do you think is not being conveyed or is being improperly conveyed in contemporary discussions of climate change? Well, it, when you look at the uh, the IPCC and their science, um, they really just disregard solar activity. And it's extremely important to the climate on this planet. And it shows in their modeling. Like one of, one of the things that uh, the IPC has actually uh, recognized is that their models run too hot. That should be front page news. That should be something we should be celebrating. It's not as bad as we think it is or that they think it is. Um, you know, that type of thing. Um, and, and we're slowly getting rid of that whole uh, RCP 8.5 emissions model where they're saying we're going to emit carbon dioxide at levels that we just can't possibly emit at. So, emit at. so there's those types of things that need, need more presence in the mainstream news. It's just... And on the scientific stuff. aspect, I mean, you've already said... Part of it is, uh, you know, your daughter says her friends believe something, so it must be true. Yeah. That's what she's going to believe, all, as opposed to yeah. as opposed to following the scientific method, looking at data, the, the reliance yeah. on consensus and models over uh, data and evidence to prove yeah. something. I take it y'all take that on as well. It, yes, yes, yes. The uh, uh, I, I as a, as an engineer in the oil industry, I've done modeling. So I know exactly what it is. It's a tool. It's not a proof of anything. It's uh, it's designed to help you figure things out. But it's, and it's, it's all dependent on what you put into it, how you program it. I was about to say, it's all, it's all dependent on on uh, uh, your assumptions, your math. Everything you put into it produces the outcome. Yep. But whether the outcome actually yep. matches reality, that's what you got to – when it doesn't, you adjust the model. You don't You're, pretend the reality is. Uh, absolutely. And, and the way the IPC science does it, they adjust the data, which is just outright wrong. Yeah, I mean, company, I, you know, companies that do go that ahead. go out of business. <laughs> you know, if, if you were uh, in an oil company. I, I wouldn't have you, a job if I approached it like that. Yeah. Yeah, you'd, uh, you'd, 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 if you did a model that said there's supposed to be oil in some place in some amount, yeah. and uh, you went there and, uh, and did the yeah. drilling, and it turned out there wasn't, you wouldn't go back and say, well, the, the it's yeah. supposed to be here. They're just wrong. The model is right. Yeah, the model is right. The it's just the, the structure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I, like I said, I've done modeling, and I've also just played around with modeling the climate yeah. on a, in spreadsheet form. And, uh, and you can model the modern-day temperature with just the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation and the to- total solar radiance. Using it as a proxy. Simple models with no feedbacks, uh, yep. no major yep. CO2 yeah. input. Yeah. They produce the, the warming that we're actually experiencing as opposed to what's predicted. 
That's right. Yeah. 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 And so, I don't pretend my model's right, but <laughs> it's it actually it actually models the uh, the temperature better than CO two alone, which is the way the current modeling system is set up. Well, let me ask you this: How is Friends of Science attempting to remedy the inadequate uh, science that's received that's uh, sort of reaching policymakers? Well, we try to put out as much uh, information out there as we can. Uh, you've, I'm sure you've seen some of the videos that Michelle does. She's uh, quite prolific on them. And uh, we, we have, uh, like Robert Lyman out of uh, Ottawa, he's an ex-ambassador for Canada. He writes uh, reports on a wide variety of uh, energy and uh, climate policy that, uh, that we print, print up for him. And uh, and it's just you know just talking to people. It's been a little harder with the COVID thing. Do you testify? Do you, do you do you do white papers? You know. Uh, yes, we've got a lot of uh, uh, just uh, reports, you know, ten twenty page reports type things. They're all on our website under our blog. Yeah. Um, I I per, I just like to get the data, plot it, and I plot it in. Um, uh, different format than you'd see in the mainstream. Uh, you know, like just if you look at the temperature and CO2 over the Holocene, when you see the, the CO2 plot, it goes along, it's kind of moving up and down a little bit, but then it has the big tail at the end shooting into the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you really believe that CO2 caused all the modern temperature warming, you have to shrink the scale so that you can plot CO2 over top of the temperature. And if you do that, the, the CO2 level through the Holocene is flat, yet the temperature still fluctuates. There's just a lot more going on than just CO2. So what, moving from science a bit, what's the state of climate politics in Canada as a whole and in particular provinces? Well, uh, our, our fearless leader, Justin Trudeau, uh, is very much in line with all the climate propaganda. He's, uh, he's on board with every UN project out there, and climate's no different. Um, they're, oh, they're, you know, they're looking at spending hundreds of billions to trillions just within Canada to stop warming, global warming through CO2 emissions when, as I'm sure you're aware, Bjorn Lomborg's uh, look at the their climate science says <laughs> even if we implemented the whole Paris Accord commitments, we reduce our temperature by 0.17 degrees at the end of the century. So 80 years from now, we've spent you know 150 to 200 trillion dollars, and we've dropped the temperature by 0.17 degrees. So. He, he's on, or, or, or you, know, you know, more accurately, we prevented 0.17 degree of rise. We haven't, right. we haven't That's reduced right. temperatures. Yeah. We've just prevented yeah. less than a yeah. fifth of a degree of rise. Yeah. Yes, you're correct. So he's, he, you know, he's on that bandwagon, and he continues to double down. He's not letting up on it. And uh, uh, provincially, uh, we have problems with Quebec. They will not let pipelines through their territory, that type of thing. Um, BC's got the same issues. Uh, Alberta, we're still, we're not as 
gung-ho about it politically in Alberta, but we're still pushing net zero type options, which in my mind are, if you want to waste money on green initiatives, net zero might be the way to do it because if you're re-injecting CO2, at least it's not going into the atmosphere, so you're actually keeping it out of the atmosphere. I just don't believe that there's much of a benefit from wind and solar in terms of reducing emissions. Net zero in, in net, net zero in Alberta, which is a oil producing province, yeah. seems like a recipe for uh, bankruptcy. I suspect that the state, oh. I, I suspect that the province actually <laughs> receives a, a fair chunk of uh, its revenue from from oil and related industries. It does, yeah, it does. Yeah. So our, our premier is fighting it a bit, but. It's, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> you're, you're going against the whole world right now, kind of. <laughs> so uh, Friends of the Science has a vision statement, and you discussed some particular goals. What are some of them? Well, the, the first one, you know, if you look at it, we want open, civil, and respectful debate on climate and energy issues. Right now, you can't even voice your concerns about some of these things, and it doesn't just fall into uh, climate and energy issues. That's kind of a, a global uh, parameter. So we need we need to think about getting out of things like the Paris Agreement. Uh, the whole NGO situation is extremely tough to deal with because uh, you know they've banded together. They get hundreds of millions, billions of dollars to put out their propaganda. Um, we you know we work on 150,000 a year budget, so you know big oil's not doing a lot to keep us going. We, we do it on uh, small donations from members and and some 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 other members. Uh, some people aren't members and still donate to us. Um, you know we're, we we want to see things like carbon markets and carbon pricing just disappear. They're not doing anything to actually fix the problems. Um, people are making lots of money off of them, but it's not helping the, the actual emissions on the planet. Um, we need to get back to a much more balanced energy situation where, where oil, gas, coal are part of the process and nuclear, uh, rather than trying to replace um, everything with uh, you know, wind and solar for electrical. And you know, and it scares me that we're trying to go so so dependent on electrical because there's uh, there's lots of issues with that. <laughs> if we get a an EMP or a major solar flare, all of a sudden our everything grinds to a halt. Well, and and if you're doing it all all electrical, you're uh, you're you're taking a power system that's designed to function 24/7, seven days a week. Yep. For one that's supposed to that's designed to work when the weather's yeah, when the weather cooperates and you have sufficient bat- expensive battery backup, hoping you know hoping your big battery plants don't catch fire. No, that, that's right, and and the cost of putting in battery storage is just astronomical. As yeah, I've, as I've heard you, you, you your crew say on uh, your other podcast. So, yeah. So, big- um, so another big, well, I was just going to say one other big thing that, uh, that's a problem is the school indoctrination. Mm. Uh, it's not making a very pleasant experience for our kids. They, sh- they shouldn't even know that these issues are going on. Um, and they're not real anyways. There could be real climate problems, but uh, 
uh, we're just giving our kids a hard time, and that's not even necessary. They're, te- they're teaching. So ultimately, we, yeah. So. They're teaching our kids what to think, not how to think. Absolutely. And, and what to think is that the world's coming to an end, and it's creating a whole host of psychological problems that are showing up. Yep. So ultimately, we'd like to see, uh, you know, much more science-based fact school programs get in and work with teachers and and uh, and actually teach our kids, like you just said, how to think. Uh, I don't I don't have a problem. I, I fully believe in free speech, and if you want to put out this type of what I'll call misinformation, you're allowed to do it. But you should also, the other side of the coin, we should also be able to put out our information and. And we don't make things up. We're just taking actual data out there. We we present papers and, uh, you know, I write my own stuff. But it's just that. It's just my opinion. Nobody yeah. has to take my opinion. But they should look at the data. And any time you look at the data in detail, you'll come to the same conclusion I did. There's just no CO2 influence, no yeah. major. You can't see it in historical data. There's some there, but it's very small. It's a big picture, Ron. If you can make just one point, what's the most important single point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion of climate science and policy in Canada and beyond today? Well, I, I, I just like to say, and it's not just in Canada, this, this applies globally. Um, when I was much younger, you know, in my early 20s, I recognized that the environment takes a, you know, set, plays second fiddle to everything else when your economy is not strong. You know, we had real problems back then with Love Canal and, and many other well, pollution issues, real pollution issues. So what, what we're doing now is just wrong. We need to delay wind and solar and electric cars, not have the constant push on them, and fix the financial issues that our planet, our country, your country, every country around this world is facing, and put yourself in a position to actually do something about climate change if it was a real problem. Now, if you delay it, I don't. I think you'll find out that it's not a real problem. But you know that you build in that delay, and it will make no difference in the temperature in 2100. Absolutely unmeasurable difference so basically so, solving the problem through the sort of the the, the flexibility and uh responsiveness that wealth provides yes yeah because yeah. right now you know the, the plan is to spend 10 trillion dollars for every hundredth of a degree that we can reduce the temperature eight degrees from now what could we do with 10 trillion dollars yeah <laughs> uh every you know that that's uh well, it's more like a couple hundred trillion dollars. Is what, um, uh, how many cities? Do, but Ten trillion dollars, you could fill, fix a lot of things. Real yeah. problems. How many cities could you harden? How many people could you raise out of poverty? Uh, how much infrastructure yeah. could you improve? Uh, yep. Great, yeah. great point. So, Ron, and, and, and climate climate change is a, is you know infrastructure. Like if you're in a flood area, there's things you have to do. You have to spend money on it. Yeah. But but you're not trying to change the climate. You're just adapting. And that, that's where we should be focusing our money. Yeah, we, we talk about adaption quite a bit here, uh, so mm-hmm. that's a great point yep. you made. Uh, Ron, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners for coming on the show. 
Well, thank you very much for having me, and thank you for all the work that you and your compatriots do as well. It's, uh, it's in my mind, something that we really need. We, we need to turn the corner, and I hope we turn it soon. I appreciate you saying so. Listeners, thanks for checking in us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Ron Davison and the other scholars at Friends of Science in Canada. And please continue to follow us as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. Also, if you're not already receiving these podcasts on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye.